0: Isn't God good? Amen. And I think, as uh, maybe Pastor to say, he just gets gooder and gooder, doesn't he? <laughs> 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 oh, so well. I want to thank Pastor Chris for the opportunity to speak tonight, and uh, I just want to share what's on my heart. You know uh, what. Uh, I don't know if they put the graphics up or not, but we'll get with it in just a moment. Um, I want to speak tonight on seven people that God can't save. Seven people that God can't save. You know, we're getting to a time now to where we need to be more mindful. Jesus said that when he was talking to the disciples, when you see these things start to happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. We need more teaching, more preaching uh, concerning hell, we need more preaching concerning salvation, we need more preaching concerning the seriousness uh, of of life and what's going on. Uh, you know, you, send, you tend to see uh, a lot of what, uh, what we call just one preacher terms hot tub Christianity and just a, a soft, uh, it's okay, just continue on. But... I want to minister tonight and talk about this and, and cover some things that just to get you thinking and to get the people that's watching online to get them thinking. Uh, and the title is, Seven People That God Can't Save. Now, we know that, that people will say, well, God can do whatever he wants to do. Well, no, he can't. Brother Hagan used to say, if God could do anything he wanted to do, then why can't he get you to pay your tithes? Or if you look and you see in Matthew's gospel, and in the gospels where Jesus, uh, people say, well, he healed everybody. No, he didn't. You go back and you look and it says he went to his own hometown and he could there do no mighty works uh, except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them. He couldn't do the works or the works were not being done of opening the blinded eyes and raising the dead and... Uh, the maim walking, uh, the lame walking, and the, the dumb speaking. He said he laid his hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And it says there that uh, they knew him. They were offended at him because it was in his own hometown. And so God can, and God does want to save everyone. But the fact is, He will not. They, everyone, will not be saved. Uh, if you look in uh, Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 10, and that's the account of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And it says there that uh, he came to him and he says, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've been good. I've kept all the commandments. I've done everything that I should do. And uh, Jesus says, well, so there's one thing that uh, you need to do. He says, One thing you lack, he says, Go your way and uh, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor. And he says, Come follow me. And it says there that uh, when he said that, it said he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, here's someone that that come to Jesus. I've been a good person. I've kept the commandments. I've done what I should do. I've been a good church member. But he was rich in the things of the world and not in the things of God. And Jesus said, "Now I don't think he literally wanted him to divest himself of, of everything that he had. But he needed to have a giving spirit. He needed to have a giving heart and be willing if he needed to, to give away those things and uh, be willing to give it to the poor if God told him to. But it says he went away sorrowful. And when Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, he said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And then the, the, the disciples, it says, were astonished at his words. And they began to look at each other and says, well, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? Who can be saved? And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus again said here, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And few be that find it. The road to salvation is a a narrow road because people aren't willing to put aside their self, to put aside the things that cause them pleasure or to put aside the things and commit and dedicate themselves to the life that God has for us. So with that, who can be saved? God wants everybody saved. Understand that. God wants everyone saved. Ezekiel thirty-three, eleven says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And God says, turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? That's God speaking there. Ezekiel 18. He says, "For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies," says the Lord, therefore turn and live. Turn and live. Second Peter chapter three, eight and nine says this, says that God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish. Three scriptures there that says God wants you to change. God's long-suffering. God's merciful. God's ready to save you. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, "...None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us have the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked." We all have a we all if the Lord tarries have to face that. All of us, none of us here are going to live forever. And if the Lord tarries is coming, we have to face and be prepared and most people are not prepared to die. They're prepared for everything else. They prepare for retirement, they prepare for for uh, babies, they prepare for everything coming. But they do not, the most serious thing of all, they lack the preparation. And yet we all will face that same exit from this world. John 3.16, God said that He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if you look in verse 18, it says, He who believes in Him is not condemned. "...but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not condemn the light, or does not come to the light, rather, lest his deeds should be exposed." But he who does the truth, that narrow way, he who does the truth, he who walks it out daily in his life or her life, comes to the light that their deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been uh, what they have done in God. That's God speaking. All of those scriptures, that's God Speaking to you, speaking to me, speaking to those who are listening online. And I think it's important that we hear what he said. Jesus said to the one, he said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Do you know, you can be having a conversation with someone and never hear one word that they say. Now this was something. Now I'm I'm not saying that this is it, but when we moved here to this part of the country, I'm if you can't tell, I'm not from this part of the country. Been here 19 years and I still talk like this. So, but the one thing that that I was so frustrated with and we were pastoring in a church assisting my father-in-law's assistant pastors. But the biggest problem that I had and even in the workplace was no one listens to what you're saying. I can have a conversation with Pastor Ray and next week or two weeks later, I'll ask him, well, I can remember, well, how's your daughter doing? Or how's your wife doing? Because I listen to what you're saying and I'm genuinely interested in what you're saying. But you can have a conversation with somebody and not hear with your, your ears. You're not genuinely interested and you're not hearing what the conversation is. And that's what Jesus was talking about. The one who has ears to hear, let them hear with your spiritual ears. Listen and understand. Not just these natural ears. It's on either side of your head. And so, go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you have your Bibles. And I think they've got the scriptures here. Luke chapter 18. This is what we're going to use for our main text. Uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Verse 9, it says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of all my income. Verse 13 says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God... For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice that he says here, the Amplified Bible says in verse 9, it says, He also told this this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. He told this parable to these people who trusted in themselves. Notice those words. And were confident that they were righteous that they were upright and in right standing with God and scorned and made nothing of all the rest of the men. The one person that God can't save is the self-righteous because they feel like they have it all together. I don't need God. I'm self-sufficient. I've done everything of myself. When you trust in yourself, you're saying, I do not need God. I'm sufficient in myself. How many business people do you know that that you've talked to that are successful? Well, I'm a self-made man. No, because the scripture says it's God that gives you the power to get wealth. It's God that does that. You couldn't even have gotten out of bed this morning and put your feet on the floor if God didn't give you the breath to get up and breathe and give you function in your body. I can do nothing of myself. Jesus said that. He said, I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see the Father do. I can only speak what I hear the Father speak. But this self-righteous Pharisee here, oh, I thank you, I'm not like that person over there. Oh, And most of all, that tax collector, oh, I thank you, I'm not like him. Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees. These are the ones who tied 30% of all they took in. Not just 10. They had this ritualism down. Do you know the scripture says they even tied the tenth of their herbs? So whatever they picked out of their herb garden, they gave a tenth of that to God. Matthew 5.20 says, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Are you giving your tithe? Are you tithing 10%? This guy gave 30. And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds his, no way you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 21, 31 says, I tell you the truth, Jesus speaking, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Why? Because they're self-sufficient. I don't need God. I'm okay in and of myself. Imagine what rage and anger Jesus ignited in this, this Pharisee group. They don't like to hear that. That truth stings the self-righteous like the lash of a whip. It pierces the pompous like a two-edged sword. And there are people who have religion without righteousness, and they have ceremony without conviction, and they have profession without possession. Proverbs twenty five fourteen says that these people, these self-righteous people, they're clouds without rain. They make a lot of noise, but there's no substance to them. The self righteous hate this picture because it's a portrait of many who sit in America's churches today. Many of these people sit in America's churches. It's the God of self that's America's idol. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. God's mercy. If they will turn. Salvation is there for these individuals. Salvation is there. Like I told you, God doesn't want anyone to perish. But salvation is there, but that individual has to come to the understanding, as we all do, that I am nothing without God. I can't save myself. You can't save yourself. There has to be an understanding that I need God in my life, and Jesus Christ is the answer. That's a powerful verse. And yet, there's a doctrine going through the churches today in America of of grace that just unending grace, unlimited grace. You sin and keep on sinning. God's grace has no limits, they say. Friend, that's a false doctrine. You can be assured that God's grace does have limits in Revelations to the church at Thyatira. Jesus spoke through John and He said He gave that woman Jezebel time to repent for pulling the people aside and, and pulling them into immorality. You go back and you look before the flood of Noah. When Jesus saw that everything was wicked, He said, "My, my I will not strive with man. I will not put up with this. And he says the number of their days will only be 120 years. Well, we've always thought about that as being that man has the ability to live 120 years. But what he was saying there was that from that point to the time that Noah finished the ark and judgment came was 120 years. So he gave them a space of time to repent of their evil and of their wicked ways. And as long as Noah was finishing up that ark they had the time and ability to repent. But then when God told Noah it's time, God shut the door. And then judgment came. My friend, judgment is going to come one day. There's coming a time when those in the church are going to be raptured out of here and taken out of here and then judgment is coming. And I think I'd rather be in the first train (laughs) I had one because I teach the book of Revelation to our middle school students 7th and 8th grade one of them said well Mr. Hale said uh, you know we were talking about the tribulation period and they said Mr. Hale said what if we just don't want to change right now what if we you know just continue on and say if we do miss the rapture. I'll just get saved during the tribulation period. You know what my response was? If you find it difficult to live for God now, you're not going to make it through the tribulation period. And you can get saved. You can, even in the tribulation period, But it's going to be so hard. You're going to have to go against the flow. And you're going to lose your head for it. So I said, why don't you just go for it right now? now. (laughs) Just live for Jesus now. Don't even try to, to play that game. But so many do. So many do. So... With this grace, there is a limit to God's grace. He will give you a space of time to repent. But he also says that for those that continue, it says that he turned them over to a reprobate mind. God tried in the scripture there that what he's talking about he has tried and tried and pulled and the Holy Spirit has pulled and pulled and tugged at these people. But they are so rebellious that God says, okay, have it your way. And that's what He means. He turned them over to a reprobate mind. He turned them over to do their own will, to do their own way. It's kind of like the... the the. Uh, Joke where, you know, the flood, and here's a guy sitting on the roof. There's three of them sitting on the roof, you know. I think it was a Baptist, a Catholic, and something else, Pentecostal. So they're in the flood sitting on the roof praying for God to help them. Well, a guy comes by in a boat, and he goes, I'm here to help you. And Pentecostal, no, God's going God's to rescue me, you know. God's going to take us. Well, I think the Baptist jumped in that boat. And then there was another one. A helicopter flew over and dropped down a ladder. And and, uh, Pentecostal just sat there. No, I'm waiting for God to to save us. And uh, Catholic took that ride. Well, finally the floodwaters came up. And the the guy died. And he got into heaven and says, I thought you were going to help me. He said, I sent you a boat and a helicopter. He said, what else do you want me to do? So some people are like that. They're waiting for for God to do something, but you've got to yield to God and surrender yourself. And His grace will have a limit. God's grace gives you time to confess your sin. In the Old Testament, if you sin, you were put to death right on the spot. Oh, my, my. (laughs) You, You go back and look at some of those. What about if you were a rebellious son? It wouldn't put up with that, all go for time out or, or sit down in a corner and no, you were snuffed out right there. Any of the other ones? You broke any of the commandments, you broke any of the laws, and you sinned. They took care of it right there, either by stoning or other means. The New Testament: God gives us time to repent and turn from our sin. To keep on sinning makes God an accomplice to evil. You never think about that. But let's go back. Look at this Pharisee in this story. This Pharisee, he's conceited. He's arrogant. He's pompous. He's self-righteous. Mean-spirited. And just plain evil. Look at him as he climbs the steps to the temple here. Get it in your mind's eye that the, as he walks the steps of the temple uh, steps there searching for a place where he can be seen by everybody. And then he finds that place. He's got that premier spot where everybody can see him. And then what does he do? Now he's got to be heard, and he just don't start praying softly. Uh, he, starts, he starts bellowing out what seems like a public service announcement of how good he is. And just listen to this prayer that he prays. Oh, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. I'm not like cheaters. I'm not like the sinners. I'm not like the adulterers. And I'm just certainly, God, I just thank you that, that you know, I'm so good. And I just thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. You know, he, he's working for the Romans. He's, he's cheating the, the people here, your people. He's cheating us. And I just thank you. I'm not as bad as he is. Listen to that prayer. I give you tenth of my income of everything I've got. I tithe on everything and I fast twice a week. Makes himself look good, doesn't it? You know, in another spot, what Jesus said. He told him. he said... Uh, Jesus had gone to eat with a tax collector. Went to his house. And they noticed that he didn't wash his hands and do the customary ritual of washing before he sat down to eat. And then they start griping on him about that. Well, don't you believe in doing this? Jesus told him, he said, you know what? If you spent more time, this is my paraphrase, if you spent more time being concerned about the inside of the vessel than the outside, he said, you'd be doing good. But he says, no, he says, you spend more time worried about what the outside looks like and he says, you're like a whitewashed sepulcher full of dead men bones. You're so busy concerned about whether I wash my hands or not and I, this man has come to invite me to his table and, and I'm sitting down with a meal with him and you're worried about whether I wash my hands or not? Think about that. In every church in America, there's Pharisees. I've come across some. You've come across some. You know it's true. There's all kinds of Pharisees. There's intellectual Pharisees that said, Oh, if you only knew as much as I know, then I could fellowship with you. Social Pharisees, you know, if you lived on the right side or if you lived on the right side of town. You know, if you lived down in Newport or out on the Cape or somewhere, then we we could do some things together. Do you know there's even racial Pharisees? Racial Pharisees. We need to come to the understanding, friends, that God put us here to save souls, not to save skins. We need to come to the understanding that there is no white church, there is no black church, there is no brown church, there is no yellow church. There's only the blood-bought church of the Most High God, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So, Quit worrying about these differences and get about the Father's business. So, social intellect. How many of you ever come across those? I think we all have at one time or another, intellectual especially. Intellectual Pharisee says, if you're only as intelligent as I am, then uh, we can talk. We're not here to follow each other. We're here to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? So, we need to understand, He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. He's the creator, we're the created. 2 Corinthians 13 says this, that examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. You don't hear that very often. Test yourselves. Is your faith genuine? He's the designer, we're the clay. And the clay doesn't tell the potter what to do. Jesus Christ is the master potter. And he's shaping your life. He's shaping my life for his use. Amen? How can we identify a Pharisee? You know, there was a... I don't know. You probably didn't watch it. But there there was a comedian named Jeff Foxworthy... And, and, you know, he had this thing, you might be a redneck, if this. And then he'd list some things. You know, I'm from the South, so I can talk like that. So, <laughs> it don't bother me. <laughs> so, how can we identify a Pharisee? You may be a Pharisee when you lack the ability to receive correction. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, "As arm sh- iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend." Going back to that intelligence uh, discussion, two intelligent people can have a conversation with each other. Both have something to impart, but we need to come to the understanding: I don't know everything. You don't know everything, and you're not always the smartest person in the room. We can learn something from each other if you just look for it. You can come away with something that you didn't know. I've told our kids that since they were young that always find something. There is something that you can come away from anybody you meet. I don't care if he's a Philadelphia lawyer or he's a Midwestern farmer. You can find something that you didn't know, and gain some insight, some knowledge. Number two, you might be a Pharisee when you boast to God and not to man. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. They would certainly not be to your benefit. The principles of spiritual authority are taught in the Bible is to submit to authority. The family has spiritual authority. It's the father. But watching some of the television shows now, you wouldn't understand that. You wouldn't know that because the father is the one that's over in the corner somewhere looking like a dunce and he can't even function. But the Father is to be the spiritual authority in the home. 13.17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders, for they are the overseer of your soul. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Submit to your elders. God resists the proud, but what? Gives grace to the humble. Pharisees hate spiritual authority. They're not going to be accountable to anyone. You met anybody like that? As pastors, you come across some people like that. Yes, sir. When they get to the point to where they don't like your authority, then they'll go find somebody that they can sit under for a while, and then they get to where they don't like their authority. But the Bible says it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. Submit yourself to your elders. Now, elders doesn't have to be 80 years old. You can have a spiritual elder in the church that may be 45 or 50. But notice the lifestyle. We are accountable to God. You might be a Pharisee when you see only the faults of other people in church. Oh my. (laughs) I thank you I'm not like that person over there. Did you see them? Well, I never. How many times you've seen that? Luke 18, 19 says that they despised others. The people that were self-righteous, they despised others. Fault finding is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit, regardless of what you think. It's not. So don't let anybody tell you it is. In Revelations 2 and 3, I mentioned the church at Thyatira. You you look at the churches there, the seven churches in Asia that that the letters are going out to. And you see how Jesus corrects them. He placed the rebuke right between the praise and the promise. He sends the, the message there and he goes, Oh, I know your works. I know your love. I know what you're doing. You're there and you're in a hard situation. But I have this one thing against you. And then he starts rebuking them, telling them what they need to correct. And if you correct it and make the correction, then you'll enter into heaven. He told them what they were doing wrong and then how to do it right. (laughs) If you find yourself all you're doing is criticizing somebody? Be quiet. Be quiet. If you get to the point to where all you're doing is being critical and criticizing somebody, keep it shut. Ask God to help you. Put a watch guard over my mouth. Let only the things that speak, the words that come out of my mouth, be edifying, exhorting, helping someone. Do you know that if if that's the pattern of you find yourself in that pattern, that's the pattern of the prince of darkness? To criticize bringing somebody into condemnation and shame? We understand there is no perfect person in this room. The only perfect person on this planet was Jesus Christ. The pattern of the prince of darkness is to bring shame. Over in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to the earth, and the one who accuses, accuses them before our God day and night. Satan himself. If you accuse another person, you're doing the work of the devil. So what you're doing is you're yielding to that spirit there and you're, he's working through you. If all you're doing is accusing, then you're doing his bidding for him. You're not appointed to fix others and neither am I. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to convince and convict people of their sin and where they're messing up. It's not my job to do it and call them out on it. We're not appointed to fix anybody. Scripture in Matthew 7, verses 3 through 5, it says, And you worry, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? He goes on down through there and he says, Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll be uh, well enough to see and deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to condemn another man's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive His approval. You just have to get to the point to say, You know what? That's not me. I, I don't know. God will deal with that individual, or He'll deal with these people, and He'll take care of it. That's not my problem. You have to learn to say, God will deal with that. That's not my problem. Well, did you see how much money they spent on that? Did you know how they spent on that? You know what? That wasn't my money. I don't care. It's like the woman that broke the, the Martha, the, uh, Mary, that broke the alabaster box and, and poured the oil over Jesus' feet. And they're there and and they say, oh, <laughs> That could have been used to, to help the poor. That could have been used to do so much for that. Who was the one saying that? Judas. And what was he doing? We all know what he, he was doing. He was taking money out of the bag. So he was just concerned that she did this, and now that was that much less he'd have to take. But who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Our master is Jesus Christ. He will take care of the problem. He'll take care of the individuals that need to be taken care of. And then fourthly, you might be a Pharisee if you feel closer to God than others. You might be a Pharisee if you feel closer to God than others. You know what I mean by that? I thank you, Lord. I'm not like other men. That Pharisee. What is that? That's pride demonic. Pride. If you go over to Isaiah 14, you see here, it says, for you said to yourself in verse 13, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. What's that? That's what Lucifer said about God. I'm I'm going to Usurp all your power and I'm going to set myself up. I'm going to set my throne up. Pride is what transformed Lucifer from an angel in the genesis of time to the serpent that's crawling in the garden. Pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Jesus said, Behold, I, I saw Satan fall like lightning. To the ground. Pride. Daniel 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar there, King Nebuchadnezzar, ruler of a global throne. He ruled the world at that time. What happened with him? Pride. He went mad and he ate grass for seven years out in the field like a cow. Pride. If that happened in our nation's capital today, there wouldn't be a blade of grass for 50 miles around the capital. (laughs) Pride is a cancer. And as soon as you recognize it, it's a cancer in the soul of humanity. And when you recognize it, cut it out. Because it will destroy an individual. It will destroy a whole society. You're a Pharisee when you see your prayer life has become mechanical. When your prayer life has become mechanical. This Pharisee, he lacked passion in his prayer life. He had the ritual down, it was mechanical. What about our prayer life? Have you lost the passion? Meeting with your father every day? Have you lost the passion to spend time? There was a minister uh, years ago, you probably remember him, Larry Lee in Texas. He had that uh, prayer series, Can You Not Tarry One Hour? You know, if you get to the place to where some people, and I tell our students this, you know, First of all, I want you to spend at least just five minutes a night reading your Bible. And then spend another five minutes of just listening. To get to know the voice of God. And then spend time of just meditating on the Word. And there's a, a, I used the temple method that Paul Young Cho used... If you will use that as a prayer, as a means of just prayer, people will say, oh, I can't pray 10 minutes. Can't think of enough stuff. If you'll think about this in using the tabernacle prayer, this is what I used to give to our, our congregation when I would teach on prayer. I would give them this, and it, it just opens up a whole new avenue for you in prayer. If you see the tabernacle in the wilderness and where the priests, they would come up. And at the, the uh, laver uh, where they would wash themselves and then go behind the curtain and change their clothes and go on into the presence of God. Well, when you come to that laver, I know I'm getting off what I'm talking about. But when you get to that laver and you thank God, I thank you. I thank you that you've cleansed me with the blood of Jesus. That you've washed me clean and I'm white as snow. Thank you, Father, for the water of the word. I thank you that you've cleansed me. I thank you, Father, that I've got the garments of praise. I've got the garments of salvation on. And then you walk on behind into the outer court area. And then you come on in to the, to the, behind the, uh, into the holy place where the table of showbread is there and the candlesticks. And then each one of those, I thank you, Father, that the the bread of life is your word and I feast on it daily. I thank you that it's illuminating me, that the light of the word of God is shining bright within me, that you're giving me wisdom and understanding and I thank you, Father. And then you just go on in and if you will follow that practice you'll find yourself into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And when you get there, you just want to stay and bask in His presence. And when you get to that point, it's no longer mechanical, but after you've gotten into this now, you can just... People say, you know, you don't spend, uh, do you spend 30 minutes in prayer a day to say that you set aside or that I set aside 30 minutes a day? Uh, Rarely not, but there's not a minute or two that goes by that I'm not mindful of the presence of God. And so I'm I'm constantly trying to be in communication with Him and listening for His voice and speaking to Him. But with this Pharisee prayer life, it had become mechanical. The prayer life of this Pharisee lacked passion. He sought the place of prayer. He wanted to be heard. He sought the position of prayer. He wanted to be seen. And everyone else is kneeling, but he's standing. Mechanical. He rehearsed the proclamation of prayer, and he ignored the purpose of prayer. That's another thing. Prayer is not telling God how to do your will. Prayer is getting you ready and me ready to do His will. Amen? Prayer is not sending God as an errand boy to run our errands. And sadly to say, that's what it's gotten to be. Prayer crucifies that self. Prayer crucifies pride. You might be a Pharisee when you have eye trouble. You know what I mean by that? Pharisee boasted, I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. I, 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 I. He had eye trouble. Number seven, you might be a Pharisee when you're critical of the Holy Spirit manifestations. Uh Uh-oh. Friends, we're in a time to where God is going to manifest His presence. And He will manifest it through individuals who have positioned themselves to be used as a vessel by Him. Do not be critical of these. The Holy Spirit is, the, is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. You reject the Holy Spirit, you're rejecting God. The Holy Spirit wants you to have a relationship with God, and He wants it to be a relationship of wind and fire, just like in the upper room. Understand that. And you can have that. And you feel it's for others but you're just a bit too sophisticated to lift your hands and praise God. My friends, lifting of hands is a sign of surrender to God. Don't ever feel ashamed to lift up your hands. I can remember when I first came into the uh, full gospel church. I had been raised in the Baptist church, Southern Baptist and so, you know, you thought you're okay. Once saved, always saved. There's nothing I can do to uh, get out of the grace of God. There's nothing. And, and <laughs> thank God I found out different. But I'd been in the church all my life. I was playing the piano in church when I was 10 years old. Continued to play it until I was a teenager. But it was going out with the friends on Friday night and Saturday night, and then coming in on Sunday morning and hopping up on the organ stool. And I thank God that He was merciful. But I can remember coming into the full gospel church. And after coming for a month, it was a Sunday night service presence of God was so real and I can remember just emptying myself of all the hurt, all the things that I had bottled up inside of me and just raising just one hand when you feel it coming up and it's like it didn't stop It stretched into the heavens. There's so much liberty in that sign of surrender. Psalms 28.2 says, Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help as I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Psalms 134, David says, Lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Psalms 63, I'll praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. When we come together as a congregation and the music starts and we lift our hands to God, the angels in heaven stop to listen and nothing more is more pleasing to God than the praise of His people. That's worship. That's worship. The publican, the Jewish guy there, working for the Romans as a tax collector, taking a percentage of the taxes that he collects... He set the tax amount that you were going to pay, and his equation was the IRS times 300. This publican was the most reviled and despised individual in the Jewish community. Notice that it says he stood at a distance, and it says that he dared not lift his eyes to heaven. Why? He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Now, that scripture there, it it actually translates... Be merciful to me, the sinner. Not a sinner, but be merciful to me, the sinner. This man here is pleading for God's mercy and he's saying, I'm the worst of the worst. Mercy here refers to the blood atonement. The blood that was sprinkled on the the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And when the high priest sprinkled the blood on the seat, God in heaven had to, through the blood, see the law. Think about that. He had to look through the blood to see what the law was. And it was through the blood that God says, I give you mercy. I give you mercy. My friend, it's the blood of Jesus that guarantees mercy for you and me. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that that guarantees mercy no matter how low in sin you may be, you that are watching online, no matter how low in sin you may be, no matter no matter how low, no matter what the sin, no matter what the depression, the blood of Jesus can guarantee you hope, it can guarantee you happiness, it can guarantee you new life if you'll just come to Him. And he can do it right now, this very minute. Lamentation says that his mercy is new every morning. Psalms 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. This Pharisee left the church a sinner, but the publican left the church saved. Amen? Amen? God can't save those who are self-righteous. He can't save those who do not believe. Scripture says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Friends, Faith Christian Center is a lighthouse. Isaiah 60 says, the glory of the Lord is risen upon me. Though darkness covers the earth and gross darkness the people, though darkness covers this region of the country, it doesn't have to cover here. This, this place is a lighthouse. And you know what a lighthouse is. We live uh, right off the coast and the shoreline, so you know what a lighthouse is and what it does. It, it, it keeps the, the ships off of the rocks. It keeps them out of danger. You're keeping lives out of hell. That lighthouse, the light of the gospel going out from this place. We all face the same facts. And yet some people doubt. The problem is not in the facts. The problem is in our willingness to accept Jesus Christ. You can't save those. God can't save those who try to come to Christ another way. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the gate. I'm the door. There is no other thing that can save you, no other way that can save you. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Abraham can't save you. Mary can't save you. Wealth and power can't save you. You can only be delivered by Jesus Christ and faith in Him. Fourthly, God can't save the hypocrite. Jesus said, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let the others enter in either. He said hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? An actor. Someone pretending to be something. He says, you don't go in and you won't let the other people go in either. You're leading them astray. Number five, God can't save those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. He says in uh, Matthew 12, verse 31, So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Verse 32 says, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. You blaspheme the Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and some people do. God can forgive you. But you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and He said there is no forgiveness. That's God speaking. And This is what we know as the unpardonable sin. Now you talk to some people and talking with backsliders or sinners, uh, the number one answer they give, oh, you don't know what I've done. I've committed the unpardonable sin. But yet they don't even know what qualifies as the unpardonable sin. And there is a qualification. Most people don't even realize this. In order to commit the unpardonable sin, Hebrews 6 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, so you have to be saved, and have tasted the heavenly gift, had the infilling of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and made partakers of the Holy Ghost, meaning that you've operated in the gifts, the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. That individual who has met all of these qualifications, and he goes on to say, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come. So you've got someone who is operating in the spiritual gifts, filled with the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in other tongues, they're saved... And yet something happens that they begin to speak against the Holy Ghost. That's the unpardonable sin. And most people that say that they've committed the unpardonable sin never have gotten to first base. They've never gotten saved to begin with. Let alone be filled with the Spirit speaking with other tongues and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. So be very careful not to mock people who have manifestations of the Holy Spirit in their life. If you can't accept it right now, put it on a shelf. Let God deal with them. I'm not at that level yet. I just, you know, if if this is where you are or you just can't accept that, put it on a shelf there and just let it go, okay? Ask God for enlightenment. Ask God to give you some enlightenment on it. Two more points. God can't save someone after they die. Once you step into eternity, you're there for all of eternity. You're where you're going. Friend, there is no purgatory. That was an erroneous teaching. That was a doctrine created in the Middle Ages to extort money from grieving families that were sad for their loved one that had died, and the church used that and extorted money From those families. There is no purgatory. You can't pay for your loved one. To go on to heaven. Or have a better life on the other side. Jesus paid it all for us right now. He paid it all. To where we don't have to pay anything. So you can't get saved. Or change your destination. After you die. And then seventh. The person that God can't save is an apostate. Someone that is in total rejection of Christianity and of Christ. They've come to Christ, they've been saved, they've turned away from Christ. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 in the Common English uh, Bible says this, If people escape the moral filth of this world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then get tangled up in it again and are overcome by it, they are worse off than they were before. Verse 21 says, It would be better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than having come to know and to turn back from the holy commandment entrusted to them. They demonstrate the truth of the proverb. A dog returns to his vomit. Friends, 1 John 4, 7 says this, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. What causes an individual to come to Christ and then return to a sin-ridden world? you know many times it's a church member? Many times it's a church member. Someone has hurt someone so bad that they said, I don't want that anymore. I know an individual like that. He was, when he was 12 years old, he was in the church. And he came to the church one late, one afternoon, and he walked in on his Sunday school teacher and someone that wasn't her husband in the church. And do you know he never has darkened the door of a church since then? And he's going on 70-something years old right now? Just because of stupidity. Let us continue to love one another. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son. What are you doing to demonstrate God's love to other people? Is this you? Are you a loving person? Are you showing love to someone? To whom are you showing that love? Are you trying to get to heaven in your own morality? Love. We hear that word a lot. It's tossed around like, I love hot dogs. I love that suit you have on or I love the color of this carpet. And in the midst of that, I love my wife. Or I love my husband. Well, do you love them the same way you love hot dogs? you love them the same way that you love that new car you just bought? But yet, all of it runs together and there is no distinction. People have gotten desensitized to that and to the meaning of the word that there is no genuine love anymore. We need to distinguish what I'm saying. When God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus, he was so concerned for you. He is he nobody else was on his mind except you. That's love. That's concern. That's caring. And God cares for you and he loves you. Everyone go ahead and stand up, please. Father, we thank you. Just bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the people that are here tonight and the word that's gone forth. Father, I pray that the ones who are in the sound of our voice, that you will continue, Holy Spirit, to minister to them, convince them and convict them of where they are with you and their relationship with you. Father, I thank you that you'll make the word alive, come alive inside of them, that they would know the hope that you have for them. Father we just thank you. And we magnify you. For you are worthy to be praised. Thank you Lord Jesus. Thank you Lord Jesus. Thank you Lord Jesus. You know with every head bowed. Every eye closed. I know Years ago. Just because someone is in church. The Lord quickened me. And he says don't assume. That just because they're in church. That they're saved. And so tonight, if you're here and and you don't know Jesus Christ or you want to develop that relationship with Him, He wants to come in and make His home with you. If that's you and you're here, just pray this prayer. Just say, Father in heaven, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for caring for me so much that you gave your Son for me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness, Father. Wash me clean and make me white as snow. I thank you, Father, that I believe and I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is your Son. And that He came to earth and He lived and He died and He rose again for my sins. And He's seated at your right hand right now. Lord Jesus, come and live in my heart. Be everything to me that you will be. And I thank you that I'm your very own child. Thank you, Father, for forgiving me of my sins. And I look forward, Father, to growth and let the Word grow inside of me. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. Fill me to overflowing right now. And reveal the truth of the word to me that I may walk in it in Jesus name I pray thank you Lord Jesus if you pray that